Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. The biggest thing that I think companies get wrong that they think we're building a media company is they don't focus enough on attention. To me, it's less about the media and more about the audience. And saying, kind of shifting our perspective from creating content from an SEO perspective, performance content that's like built for an algorithm, to creating media telling stories for humans. And that's the whole point is, what can you do that is actually so interesting that makes the resource you've spent so much of your budget actually pay off? What's up, everybody? I'm Daniel, founder of the Marketing Millennials. I want to get started by introducing the guests. Right here, Mark Young, aka Meeting Mark, VP of Brain and Media at Xtiba. And you may know him from Fire Talks, where he did it at Dooley. This is Ari Murray. If you don't know, she's my wife. Of growth at Charmer Brand, but she also has a newsletter, Go to Millions. It's hot today. <laughs> and then, last but not least, AK Anthony Canada, founder and CEO of Audience Plus. And today we're going to talk about what it's like for a media company, tactics on how to run a media company, and everybody has a different perspective. So we're going to dive in but the first question i want to see y'all what does it mean to you to become a media company i'll check it all right testing the two testing the two so i'm going to come with a little shots fire raise your hand you think media and content marketing are the same three seconds on the clock one guy one guy in the back any other city groups all right so i'm here to hopefully prove you wrong it's getting my reason why media is not content marketing. So I kind of have slide pillars of what media is. One, media is about building in public, not in private. Two, you should be focusing on the problem and not the product. The biggest thing that I think companies get wrong or building a media company is they don't focus enough on attention. The first thing that you need to be doing when you're building a media company is building attention. If no one cares about you and you're not relevant, you don't matter. From there, you can transition to intention. I-N-T-E-N-T-I-O-N. Once you rally the base and you understand who you are, then you can start to really link into the social and emotional problems that you're solving for. So we're going to get really tactical here. And I know everyone has great definitions, but my take is media company, completely different from content. I think most people get it wrong. And we'll, we'll get into the tactics. That's my quick take. So I'll throw it to you, Ari. You're up. Thank you. I asked Daniel if I could go third. So thanks. <laughs> oh, my bad. No, no, it's okay. We can stay friends. Um, to be a media company is a company that puts getting their message across above everything else. So instead of creating content or thinking that your content is so interesting or your brand or your product is so interesting that people, I have to put the mic to my face. 
um, that people will just come and discover you and do it all, you know, on their own will. That's not how it works. You have to draw up demand and that happens when you put your messaging and your ability to communicate to your audience first. And when I'm launching a brand or when we're working with our clients, we think of the brands that have the biggest demand and those are the ones with the creators and the people behind them. So to me, a media company is based on making it interesting. Those are all good. I mean, I think for Stad, maybe some more color, um, I think to me, it's less about the media and more about the audience and, and kind of shifting our perspective from creating content from an SEO perspective, performance content that's like built for an algorithm to creating media, telling stories for humans and for people. And by doing so, we're able to build a direct relationship with this audience. And I think that is sort of one of the key elements. And a lot of this from for B2B companies, if you're thinking about, you know, all of our distribution channels, sort of we have big through channels that we don't own ultimately, right? We need out the LinkedIn algorithm to work in our favor to get our message across. We need Google search algorithms to work. So the idea of building an audience that you own, not the weird way, of course, but like from the perspective of owning that relationship, controlling distribution into that. That's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. The last piece that I would add that I think is really important on top of that is when you look at what Anthony is talking about in traditional marketing, so much of it has been about capturing existing demand, That's right. which is limited based on the volume of who is searching for that thing and knows that that thing exists. When you flip this and become a media company, you go from capturing demand to creating demand. You control the narrative, you drive things forward, and build. You build a relationship with that audience that becomes the source multiplier, where your brain and your media fuels demand, and demand fuels brand and media, and that's the secret to like raising fans that win. So I think we could probably just cut it there and get drinks, right? Yeah, okay. we're doing now. I'm going to go to AK right now. So you held many CMO roles. We mentioned at the beginning, but. You created a company based on building a media company. So what strategies have you implemented in the past to go along to your theory of why a media company should exist? What are some tactical things that you give audience? Yeah, I mean, the example that comes to mind is Janesite, which is a company that had, when we started a very small team, and it was a category that didn't have you know, a lot of other vendors competing and folks didn't understand what customer success was at the time. And so what we did was start creating media content, holding events just like this one, not talking about our product, but talking about this pain that people felt around churn and, you know, and them not having sort of seen the executive table, how we could really empower them. And it wasn't us standing on stage as the experts. It was us sort of building the stage and letting them come and share their stories on our platform. Um, and so that showed up on our blog, it showed up on our events, and ultimately it showed up in our email database that we we're building using, and then more of the, I suppose, non-traditional ways to grow a database success. Not necessarily on paid media as much as it was, honestly, our own thought leadership and being able to get folks kind of engaged that way. So through that, and I think Mark's definition around category is patient, or word of that, which is really spot on, we were able to kind of bring people together that cared about a narrative and resource them and kind of help sort of engage them and build that relationship over time. Media is a great way to scale relationship building. 
when we can't do, we can't all do this every week and right in person, unfortunately. So through those efforts, we were able to then monetize from a SaaS perspective. So as folks got more engaged deeper to our, our I guess, audience, we called that at the time, they would eventually buy the product and be customers. And one of the CMO reflections is that cohort, cohort of leads that came through more of the media channel, they were the radio fans. They referred their, their network. They, you know, bought the product renewed. And the folks that we acquired through any kind of transactional ways of the outbound cold calling or whatever, those weren't the cohort of like the healthy cohort revenue goals for the company. So um, I think I mean, back then we didn't have language around this, but strategy I think was, was very similar. That this was the most sustainable way to grow SaaS business then and, and certainly I think now. Mark, you've been bullish on doing this if every SaaS company joined. What are a couple of things you have implemented in the past? What are things you talked about buy across the about that? What's the tactics you've implemented that along the videos? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I love to get tactical, but first, everyone, I have a quick ask for you. Bob your phones. I'll give you two seconds. Go to Audience Plus on LinkedIn and give it a follow because AJ is pulling together some of the best marketing and growth leaders in this space with really good tactical tips on how to do media. And I think generally speaking, a lot of people in the space, no offense, are still talking about content marketing and not doing media. So give audience plus a follow, give AK a follow, check it out. I mean, without saying, Ari, Daniel, go to millions, you're already followers. No, but go and do that because NK is the man and I love what you're building. And now we can stop that. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, that was that was paid. By the way, he's got me on awesome. subscription for the year. It's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm pretty cheap. If anyone wants to sponsor me, hit me up on TikTok. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna give you an example, and uh, I didn't trademark this, but I should have. And it's called Meme Inquisition. I'm gonna teach you a story, a little bit of a picture. So imagine that you are the seventh employee joining a startup. It's been around for like three, four years. Hasn't got a ton of traction has six months of cash left. And this is your first gig in SaaS. You were a management consultant. You ran some marketing in an agency before, had no idea any of the three-letter acronyms that are SaaS. And really, that's all SaaS is, three-letter acronyms. And you were tasked to not only drive growth and funding for this company, but to take it at a massive bubble. You're, again, six months of runway, six months of cash. That's how much time do you have. 30 days into starting your role, the pandemic hits and you go, not only do we have no cash, we have zero dollars, but we got to figure out a creative way to reach millions of people. You're at a sales tech company. This was me three and a half years ago in my first role in SaaS. And I'll give you sort of the tactical playbook of one of the best things that I did for that company. So sales tech, it was around Salesforce. If anyone knows Salesforce, you know, the hang of using CRM, how much it sucks. So we'll get all of the ways, and I think really smart media companies think about a few things that Anthony and Ari will talk about. Distribution is where media companies win and die. Again, when I come back to getting attention, if you do not have attention, it does not matter how great your product is. It does not matter how great your monetization strategy is. If you lose attention, you are irrelevant. So I was looking for ways saying, hey, I have no money. I have a new product that has been around. Now people know that. How can I connect with people on the social and emotional pains that they've experienced with Salesforce? 
So I realized that there's a massive ecosystem in what's called sales humor. So these are massive meme pages about sales humor, things that people find funny in sales, and zero B2B companies were partnering with these pages to create content. So with some creative outbound, I made friends with the founders and said, hey, would you post some content for me for free? And any revenue that it drives, I'll give you 100% of it. Every dollar you will get straight to you. Fast forward to three months from now, we had raised over $80 million in Series B. We had increased our web traffic by over 3,000%. We had millions of people seeing our content. And the reason it worked was three reasons. One, distribution. They had an audience. Two, we understood their channel model fit. We weren't posting newsletters or white papers. We were posting memes about Salesforce. Our first meme was, if you know Indiana Jones, that scene of the guy sitting at the computer, who all of a sudden like it's a stall and it's melting, and it just said, just going to update Salesforce real quick. Finished. And that was our content strategy. And that's the third reason. It didn't take me three videographers and 10 grand. I could create a meme in Canva in 30 seconds and reach 150,000 people. That became the lifeblood of our company. And we were able to connect to people on a social and emotional level. So think about those in how you're deciding a distribution. But I'll, I'll tee it back to you and we can go from there. Yeah, I'm going to go to Ari because she's, if you don't know Ari, she's worked for 10 celebrities now and celebrity brands. And the celebrity brands have all created content that drove Palmer's. And it's different levels of them that didn't drive commerce and didn't and did drive commerce. I want to go into what are some interesting things that you see from working with like his peaceful like Mr. Beast and Cruise by Courtney Kardashian of like some interesting place that they did with content to drive sales. Okay. So I'll give you an example from last night. You were editing an ad in Slack at 9 p.m. And it's so good. <laughs> um, it's a client of ours. Uh, I work at Charbo Brands. Yes, we um, you can hire us. One so, so at Charbo Brands, we were editing a video last night in Slack, and it has a celebrity that is attached as the face of the brand. It's not their brand; they didn't found it, but they're a partner for at least the next three years, and they are a big celebrity. And it's not their product. So, what do you do when you have a celebrity that you're paying to attach to your brand? You have to use them. For their might which is to get eyeballs and so this is a series that we thought through as a non-paid approach so it's organic content and it's using the celebrity taking on roles at an econ company so pretending that they are driving a forklift and packing your order but they're doing it really bad and they're like knocking things over and everything's breaking and it's actually a nightmare and it's very on brand for that person that's one version. But then we have them WhatsApp the whole day. So what do they do? Then they're the receptionist. And then they're like mortal enemy that everyone knows that they fight with calls and they hang it up. And then it just says like celebrity's name is working at X. And then the third is they're in the kitchen microwaving their lunch and it's salmon and it's fish and it's disgusting. Celebrities like literally judging that it's a whole thing. And the whole thing is meant to be organic. That's how the day was paid for. And then it's so funny, at least we think that we're cutting it into 15 second ads that we're going to use on paid. And that's the whole point is what can you do that is actually so interesting that makes the resource you've spent so much of your budget actually pay off. And you have to be funny or creative or whatever's on brand for your company, but 
it definitely isn't just a celebrity attaches their name. It's a celebrity plus a good idea attaches their name to a great product and then it can go well. Adam Ryan's back there, but he gave an answer on my podcast that the number one thing in marketing is to get attention. This is one way that Ari is getting attention with celebrities. There's different ways of methodologies to do that. I'm going to go to AK because you kind of talked about owning your audience. Um, and this is one of your pillars of your company of like people should own their audience. So what are some strategies that people should do today to start owning their audience? Yeah. For a lot of emerging consumer brands, this might sound like super basic, but for B2B, we're about seven to 10 years behind you. Yeah. So this, so forgive me, but you know, and like you mentioned, a lot of the content we produce is SEO related content, right? For the blog posts. So the idea of owning an audience, you know, I'm sort of learning from the consumer media use cases. And one of that, one of which is thinking about channels as rented at the very top of the funnel. And that could be social media, content networks like YouTube and others. Uh, it could be SEO as well. And then being, being, you know, prioritize having a strategy in those channels. But with Instagram media, the goal of being on LinkedIn, uh, and also LinkedIn, but Instagram, some of these things, is to platform your audience is what they call subscriber. And we don't really have that notion. Everything is like talk to sales, get demo, try the product. No idea of a relationship with your brand that is not rooted in a commercial kind of idea. So in taking a play out of that playbook, think about helping me be in those right to channels, but trying to drive folks to our own property, try to earn that subscription and try to deliver value through content media events and such things. And so, you know, tactically, some of these things are like, I know the sounds kind of basic, but short form video. How do you take your extended blog post or uh, podcast or an slotted video series kind of build in these like chunks, right? And like small bites and put that on TikTok or LinkedIn or whatever. And what's interesting for you know, TikTok doesn't work in this context, but LinkedIn is the setting you try to link away from those reds to channels. You get like a fraction of the impressions that you're, you're used to. And so the idea, I think, in general is how do you build up what um, I think it's referred to as algorithmic capital? Like playing the game, you know, posting a bunch of stuff that doesn't actually link off property, uploading like native video, those types of things. And then over time, depreciating the algorithmic capital by then linking out to your audience and building it back up again. It's not as silly that we help them play these games, but works. And I think that's, you know, this idea of being where our audience is important one, but seeking through the lens of, all right, how can we take an audience that is rented through all of these different channels? And kind of build that direct relationship with them. And I think honestly, for BB companies, that's essential. I mean, we have to be building a first party data set about our audience with understanding engagement with our audience data that we're not going to get from YouTube, Spotify, or some places. And so I think this is actually a, a, a big transformation that's coming in sort of very early days for the part industry. AK is saying this is really basic, but most companies won't invest in short form video. They want to invest in newsletters. They want to invest in podcasts because one reason the attribution softwares that they currently have can predict revenue for this. So the question I want to lead into this and Mark and Rachel are going to answer this is how do you get buy-in to do these Easter? 
I'll give you my, my quick take on this. This is my favorite two liner. You can always tell to your executive team that sounds sexy, that they go, they'll bring it to the fore and be like, yeah. So you say this, the customer journey starts before the customer journey. And for us to win in the market, we have to be different and not better. I'll give you a really quick example here and I'll throw it over. One, most companies, especially B2B, they stick to playing the board. Imagine like a game with chess, like a chess board. They accept the limitations that other companies and people have set up. But I think it's the biggest thing you should never do as a marketer. I think you always have the opportunity to flip that board over and define your own rules. And I'll give you a piece of tactical inspiration about what this looks like. So if you're a scrappy marketer with two grand or an enterprise marketer with flying hundred, here's my reco. Uh, Fresh books. For those who don't know, we're up against with books, you know, now acquired like massive, massive space. They had to spend 200 grand as a starting point to get the smallest, shittiest booth at the place that everyone was at. So what they did is they said to their executive team, hey, give me $2,000 and an intern and the weekend and we're going to come up with a concept. Do you know what they did? They started small. They pitched a concept. And rather than going and spend 200 can of booths, they recreated the banana stand from Arrested Development. Have you seen this? Literally, it was paper mache. They built out a weekend and they put QR codes on bananas and they gave up 5,000 bananas and were shouted out as the best booths on stage from someone who paid 500 grand for that. They were not happy. So again, first, give them a sexy line that the board will feel confident in that you know what you're doing. Second, pinch these small, hey, two grand, it's not going to matter, like, we'll go run it. Third, do it on the weekend or do it outside of the scope of your role so they can't say no. And four, deliver an amazing experience where they're going to say, how do I write you a blank check? I'll, I'll, I got three more for you on that same, same lens. First is, um, you know, I think that every company's the way media company thing is awesome and fussy and really, really cool. I have started sort of saying, this is that the, the B2B-ified version of saying that's thing big is like owned media. Because we understand paid media, present earned media, present owned, just like the textbooks for marketing, right? Um, but now saying this is resurgence and owned media is kind of one thing that's depressing. The second is, you know, if you look around at 2023, it's a tough economy, right? We're coming, it's, it's this season of kind of marketing period is a little, little bit different than it's in the past. The conviction that I have is that own media is one of the most efficient ways to actually grow. And that's the conversation being had in boardroom today. The conversations CMOs are talking about. And the reason is paid media is often the biggest line item in the marketing budget. And it's often the most scrutinized. And we think about how much we spend on Google AdWords, these types of things that, you know, show development effectively for, for B2B is, you know, much less. And you own distribution. You can have you know, free effectively reached into your target audience to build it. I'm also going to go to Ari on this because she has a different perspective on OVDA because she comes from the e-commerce side. And every time we're looking at websites, Ari always says, why aren't they captioning phone numbers? Why aren't they captioning emails? So I want to go into like, what is, why should companies start captioning phone numbers? Why should they start captioning emails? Why should they own the audiences? Need to see so if you're going to try to email someone, would you rather text them? And for me, the answer is I would rather not end up in your promotions tab. I'd rather end up on your phone where you're spending too much time and where I know one day I'd like at least the opportunity to get to reach you. 
So when you're having someone directed to your site and you know for a fact that maybe you can't get that conversion that day, maybe that's not just how life works, would you rather be able to contact them again in one way or in two ways? And for us, we always try to capture more information than we currently need because we know one day that phone number will be more expensive for us to own and it will help us one day later on. But on the flip side, we make a lot of landing pages and you would never catch us putting an email capture pop-up on that landing page because for us, we know if that landing page is used behind page and it's in the really like bottom funnel moment, would we rather add an extra step? So for us, it's never like one or the other, it's both. And on homepage, your email capture should be as fluid and as important as anything else on their site. And it should never just be like the crappy template that you're handed. So very important to make it like a very informed decision by chance. One of the most important things in media is people, the people behind the brands, the creators behind the brands, and ultimately the founders behind the brands. Talking, especially in B2B. Let me go with Mark first, and then AK, you can get this on the perspective because you are a founder creating content online. But what have you seen from having a founder create a brand and also like people in the company create content online? First, shout out to Ari because she is the best DTC marketer I know. And if y'all are looking for people, you should hire Ari. She's the real DR. And I mean, to her point, the best time to email is text. But whatever you do, don't use that spreadsheet. Might if you're adding text and you're just sending me like a massive block of buying your product, we're out. But seriously, go to Millions, the newsletter. If you're not following it, do it because honestly, like these are my favorite people. Like, don't follow me, just follow them because like they've got really good things to say. When I think about brands that are the one, I had a chance to work with some of the original folks at Drift out in Boston. If any of you guys know Drift, the, the chat bot. And they prioritized building not only a founder brand behind David Cancel, who was coming up on a space trying to disrupt their market, right? They figured out who their enemy was. It was that massive nine-step form that we all hated filling out, asking for like our social insurance number and favorite color before we could even talk to an SDR. Like it was bad, right? So they said, hey, this is a Volvo. Us marketers, we know that Volvo. How do we talk to the social and emotional pain about that? You hear me say social and emotional pain so many times, like pinned on my fridge at home, but it really matters. If you take away only one thing, it's leading to the social and emotional What they did was they started getting everyone in their company to talk about that on LinkedIn. Again, most B2B buyers were there, handful of marketers, show of hands, who heard of Drift here in the early days? We got B2B folks, don't be afraid, raise your hands a little higher. Hold on, yeah, there we go. Okay, see what? Drift worked because of that. And I mean, uh, I'll give you a little inside scoop that I wouldn't do this. David Cancel had a Google Sheets. That'd be like, who posted on LinkedIn and who did it, right? And that was like a way to keep people accountable. But I think in some ways, like it was good at that. And he learned about it. He's talking about it publicly. But it was, you need to create a company from the place where people in your team are excited to talk about the problem you are solving. As marketers, if you ask your team to share your white paper, your blog, your CSR report, hashtag snooze, you're going to die on the vine. Give your people something exciting and that rally and cry and let them be them. People, for the most part, like us be honest, work for money. People aren't excited always to come to work and talk about chatbots. 
So let them talk about sports. Let them talk about shopping. Look at this jacket from the row. Like, let them talk about the problem in the language that they know, and that's where you live. My best friend, Carly, who's right there in the white shirt, the button down with the belt over it, she had these, so then I had to get them. So we'll stay. Thank you. Yeah, people ride from people they touch. Yeah. What is your approach when creating Iron Plus with you as a founder? You know, at Gainsight, I worked for a founder, and my job was to get my CEO out there and help build this sort of authentic relationship with the market. And I think that's our power in marketing is to sort of like do that at scale. You can't go to every meeting, at whatever city, that sort of thing. And so I love being the numbers in that, uh, to it. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm kind of an introvert. Uh, and so being up here, you know, it's going sort of outside my comfort zone. And so doing that all the time, digitally, videos, podcasts, I, I'm, it's a muscle that I'm developing, but I feel like I have to for, I think the point you just made that people buy from people. And when you think about the, it's the Eldon trust report that just came out, some 63%, I think, or some odd amount of, uh, high number of people buy from companies who share their values and beliefs. And there's some similar stat around employees that work for brands that share their, their, their beliefs. So our jobs as, as spokespeople effectively is to be the, to try at least to be the represent, representation of our, our vision and our values, our purpose for our company. So I think there's a responsibility to do it. I also think when it's, we're super small. To be clear, we're a very, very small company, but there's this like value around cadence or just like relentlessness, like of constantly pushing that content out. And I think that's the other piece of, of the founder brand isn't just being vulnerable and putting yourself out, out there and kind of telling the story, but it's like saying yes to a lot of things and doing a lot in order to get the message out there and how that comes from you is the first post business. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, drinks, pooling. This has been so fun. Um, and I hope you got something that it I speak to Thank you, Mark, Ari, and AK for coming out and speaking. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.